This is a really dense story. Oh, stop it, Todd. <laughs> I just had the downfall of civilization in mind. <laughs> but no, there's a lot that happens in this. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Drowski. And I'm Todd Mack. How are you doing, Todd? I am great. I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm tired. It's late, but <laughs> but I'm excited to do this. This is the best thing that I do every week. So I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, just a little story. This week, uh, my seven-year-old saw a an image of Charlie Brown building a cart house, you know, doing the triangles and oh, yeah. of layers. And she asked me to teach her how to do one. And so I'm like, fine. And we got out the cards and we started and um like, you know, three triangles in, I bump it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the whole thing comes down. And I was hit with such a strong wave of what I call vintage frustration <laughs> of my childhood. Like it wasn't frustration at what just happened. Like I just had all these memories of my childhood of that same event happening when I was building these things when I was a kid and I wasn't really prepared for the strong emotions that I elicited. Within wow. me. <laughs> That's just my little story for the week. I like it. <laughs> all right. Well, listeners this week, we are going to be talking about something that does not elicit vintage frustration in me. It actually, I didn't realize how vintage the joy was, but it gave me a lot of joy to go back and revisit this because <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Veronica Mars from the pilot episode of the TV series, Veronica Mars, which is over a decade old. And I did not realize that wow. until now, pretty much until I was prepping this script. Uh, Veronica Mars was played by Kristen Bell, and this episode was written by Rob Thomas and directed by Mark Piznarski, and it originally aired September 22nd, 2004. Wow. And today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com and you can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com slash protagonist with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. If that is how you roll. <laughs> if you still have one left over from September 22nd, 2004. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> a few bits of trivia about Veronica Mars. The series ran for three seasons, but it was on two different stations because it originally aired on UPN and then at a certain point, UPN and the WB network merged into the CW. And uh, after those three seasons, it was revived through a crowd-funded film. Let me go double-check what year that was, actually. Okay, in 2013, so... That's not too long ago. Yeah, hold on a second. So it ran for three seasons, and then in 2013, there was a call put out on social media to crowdfund a goal of $2 million, and Rob, uh, what's his name? Thomas. Rob Thomas. Uh, and Veronica, or Kristen Bell had said that if they got $2 million, they were going to be able to make a Veronica Mars movie. Todd, do you know how long it took them to raise $2 million to make a Veronica Mars movie? I think it took like 10 minutes or something. It was, it, it, it was an astonishingly was, uh, short amount of time. I think it was 10 hours was the total. Yeah. And then through the end of the campaign, it, it finally totaled at like $5.3 million they raised. And then they made a Veronica Mars film. If we get $2 million on protagonist, uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash protagonist, we will make a protagonist film starring Joseph and I. Yes, as every protagonist that <laughs> yes. we've talked about. <laughs> we will role play them all. <laughs> It'll be like the craziest episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway you've ever seen. 
We'll just cycle through all of our characters. Two million dollars. And uh, I should say that uh, that uh, final tally of like five point three million dollars. One dollar of that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I helped to fund Veronica Mars the movie. Did the movie get made? It was made. I yeah. don't. Th- I never saw it. It. Uh, I saw it. And was I it worth your one dollar? It was worth my one dollar, definitely. And it felt great to go revisit those characters, but um, it felt more like an extra long episode of the TV series than a film. Okay, is kind of what I, what I'd say. Which you know, it's not entirely surprising. It was written by this TV show showrunner, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I think directed by one of the regular directors that they had on the okay. series. Um, but it was uh, you, you saw kind of all the characters. I think like five or maybe even a little more years after the end of the mm-hmm. series. So it was kind of see, cool to see where everyone Interesting. was and have one more mystery solved by Veronica. Nice. So how did you come to, uh, to Veronica Mars? I remember hearing, um, or reading some really good reviews of the first season, but I didn't see any episode when it aired. And I think it was between the first and second season. I saw the first season DVD on a really good sale. And so I picked it up just because I'd read so many good things about it. And you could burn through the, <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. first season uh, really quickly because it has a season-long arc. So the way the, the series gets structured is that there's one long mystery that lasts the entire season that you get a few clues about every single episode, and then there's usually one mystery per episode that she kind of is the self-contained mystery that she solves. And you get really caught up in trying to find out who <laughs> is responsible for some things. Yeah. Um, what about you, Todd? I first watched Veronica Mars... Uh, Veronica Mars is like uh, the West Wing for me. I watched it during uh, late night baby feedings. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember which which of my children it was. It would have been in 2008 or 2009. So uh, it was on Hulu, and I just started watching them. I think at that point there was only one season. I don't think I've watched the first season. I don't know that I've ever seen the first season all the way through. I think I just watched the second and third seasons. The the first season is my favorite season. I, I just can't, I can't remember. There's a lot about Veronica Mars that I really like. And there's some stuff about Veronica Mars where I, I think I got towards the end. I kind of got some fatigue. Um, yeah. And so like, I can't, I can't say this is my favorite show of all time. Um, I'm, I really like film noir uh, in general, especially like classic noir. And this is a really interesting um, kind of new take on that. Uh, and yeah, I think that's so. what I like the most about it. Uh, and mm-hmm. this, it, it definitely like it hooks you and you want to keep watching, but yeah. And I think for me, the, the first season is the strongest in terms of both uh, the, the long mystery through the season. Mm-hmm. And it has some of the best kind of episodic mysteries, but also, I think the characters, what you said about fatigue, like some of the plot lines feel like they get repeated uh-huh. a little bit in the second and third seasons. Uh, and so everything still feels pretty fresh in the first season. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, if you um, <laughs> haven't been able to parse out what the series is kind of like uh, already from our discussion, Veronica Mars is a teenage film noir with a female detective at its center. And she is a high school student in the first season, and her dad runs a uh, private investigator, uh, a private PI firm. She, so she helps her dad out at his office and sometimes out in the field. And as well, she gets caught up in all the shenanigans of high school life and dealing with um, 
a very socially divided city in which she lives. <laughs> uh, the city where she lives has extremely wealthy teenagers going to the same high school as the people that work for the extremely wealthy parents of those teenagers. And so if that sounds interesting, I would recommend that you get your hands on Veronica Mars. I don't believe it is currently available on Netflix. It is available on Amazon Prime. It's available on Amazon Prime, and you can uh, get a subscription to Amazon Prime and help us out a little bit if you go to protagonistpodcast.com slash deals, and there it has some links to some uh, Amazon services that if you purchase them through there, it's the same cost as if you do it anywhere else, but uh, we get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon. Or if you would like the DVD set, it is definitely available on Amazon, and if you order that through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon, uh, again, we just get a little bit of that money, and it helps us to keep the lights on. Well, so uh, if you go to protagonistpodcast.com slash deals, there's a, there's a link there for 30 days free of Amazon Prime, and you can watch Veronica Mars. You can go binge the whole thing in those 30 days easily. Easily. It's only three seasons. But, yeah. I was going to say, definitely the first season. You'd get through that. Okay. Uh, you ready for this? Yeah. Let's uh, hear how you break down this pilot episode. Okay. Uh, well, the first thing that I noticed is that this is actually a really, really uh, dense <laughs> story. There's a lot that goes on in these uh, 40, 42 minutes or something. Yeah, they're setting up a lot of things, not all of which get paid off in this pilot episode. Nope. So here we go. Um, the episode starts with a typical noir style voiceover narration and, uh, and that the narrative voice is Veronica Mars and she's played by Kristen Bell. So you're hearing the voice of, uh, Anna in, uh, Frozen. In Frozen? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Doing kind of a hard boiled, hard -boiled detective noir detective. So she says, um, uh, she lets us know that she attends high school in a town with a stark division between the very rich and the very poor. She shows up at school and someone has stripped and duct taped another student to a pole. Uh, while everyone stares, Veronica pulls out a knife and she cuts this kid down. And he has the word snitch and duct taped has, to his chest. he has the word snitch. Is it painted on his chest or duct taped on his chest? He was duct taped. Ouch. <laughs> But I think it was misspelled, too, which was a nice touch. <laughs> uh, now Veronica is in, in, in her English class. Everyone looks totally super bored. And Veronica, especially, um, she looks like she's asleep on her desk. But when the teacher calls on her, uh, Veronica answers with a memorized passage from the book that they're studying. And the teacher, sort of surprised, asks her for an interpretation. And Veronica responds with a salty version of life's tough and then you die. <laughs> Uh, Veronica tells us that she knows when the random drug searches are going to happen at her school. And we see one of these random drug searches. Uh, the vice principal shows up and opens her locker and it's completely empty except for she's, uh, taped a picture of the vice principal in a heart shaped frame on the inside of her locker. And we get the impression that this is a girl who knows the system and she has some attitude. She does a really good, oh, this is really awkward. <laughs> when she opens the locker. She opens it up and it's totally empty and there's a picture of the vice principal and she looks at him with this, yeah, with this kind of sheepish look and she says, oh, this is really awkward. Like, like she really has a crush on him, but she doesn't. She's just... Gaming the yes. system. And he just rolls her eyes at her. And... I love that the, the dog, the German shepherd barks at her, the police dog that's there. Like, it's supposed to be all intimidating. And she says, she says like, shh to the dog and it totally like quiets down because she knows like she, she knows the dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So now Veronica's eating lunch, and as she eats lunch, her voiceover, she kind of looks over and sees this popular crowd, and the voiceover tells us uh, that she used to sit with the popular kids uh, because her dad used to be the sheriff. Uh, her, oil, her old boyfriend was named Duncan Kane, and he was the son of a billionaire. Um, but then she got dumped for no reason. And then there's this other kid that hangs out with Duncan. His name is Logan Eccles. And uh, Veronica has a little bit more salty language to describe Logan Eccles. She's not a big fan of Logan. Um, then the new kid that had been uh, duct taped up to the pole, he shows up. His name is Wallace. And at first, Veronica's really rude to him. She says, did I say you can sit here? And then she kind of sighs and says, wait a minute. You can sit wherever you want. Uh, and then these, this Latino, these Latino biker gangsters show up. Their leader is called Weevil. And they threaten Wallace. That's the kid, the, the new kid. Um, they threaten him. Uh, because they were the ones that had taped him to the pole. Uh, Veronica challenges them, kind of stands up to the, to the biker gang, and they back down. And then Wallace asks, Veronica, why does trouble follow you around? Um, and she says, why are these guys after you? And Wallace tells her this story, and we see it in flashback, that he works at a convenience store. When he saw a couple of the gangsters stealing beer, he signaled uh, like an alarm to the police. And went, But when the police arrived, so had the entire biker gang. And Wallace gets scared. He tells the sheriff it was a big mistake. Uh, but the sheriff takes the surveillance tape and arrests the kids anyway. Uh, now we see Veronica playing with a dog at the beach and she sees Wallace. He's flying a remote control plane and they kind of wave at each other. Um, and then Veronica, uh, shows up at her dad's PI office. His name is Keith Mars. Um, and he's a private detective. Uh, there's a car in front of the office and it belongs to a woman named Celeste Kane. So this is Veronica's ex-boyfriend's mom. Uh, yes, it's going to be important to keep all of these. Yes, <laughs> do, do your best. Try to keep up. Um, so Celeste Kane's uh, car is parked outside. Veronica goes in. She sits in the receptionist's desk. And then this lawyer guy comes in. And he's really nice to Veronica. And he says, he kind of hints to Veronica that he knows that she covers much of her dad's work while uh, her dad is chasing bail jumpers. Uh, this is Southern California. I love And they're close guy. to the border. <laughs> yeah, he's really cool. Um, and he mentions that there is something fishy going on at one of the town's seedier joints. And he tells Veronica with a wink, if your dad has time, he should look into it. And he kind of sets the file in, in well, front of her. And he says, if he doesn't, I'm just going to leave this file open here on this. Yes. <laughs> because she's a teenager and she's not supposed to be like practicing a private detective, but he knows that she's totally capable. So he just leaves this file in front of her. Uh, so Mrs. Kane comes out of Keith's office and she says she hates being there, but she knows if anyone can be dogged and resourceful, it's Keith Mars. So later that evening, uh, Keith and Veronica are eating macaroni and cheese together. And Keith asks Veronica how was school, like trying to have kind of typical daddy daughter talk. Uh, but Veronica just wants to talk about Mrs. Kane and why she was there in, in the office. Keith tells her it looks like Mr. Kane might be cheating on Mrs. Kane. Uh, then a call comes in and Keith has to leave town to chase a bail jumper. He tells Veronica, don't go after Kane. But when you go after Kane, take backup. <laughs> so he knows. I love her dad. I just want to say that. Yeah. Right now. I love, love, love. He's her really dad. cool. Uh, and he knows that his daughter is going to go after this guy. And so he says, make sure you take backup. Uh, so Veronica tracks Mr. Kane back to his office. And then in a flashback, she tells us that she used to be best friends with Kane's daughter, Lily. Then uh, Lily was murdered and Keith Mars, uh, 
Veronica's dad was the sheriff at the time. He suspected Mr. Kane, but there was evidence leaked uh, of the investigation, and the whole town turned on Mars, and he was fired. And this young guy called Lamb uh, took his place as sheriff, and he quickly arrested a disgruntled former former employee of Kane uh, Kane's for the murder. And I, just as much as I love uh, Veronica's dad, I love to hate Lamb. Yes. <laughs> he's he's horrible. Um, so then Veronica tracks Kane to this cheap uh, motel where it looks like he's having an illicit relationship with some woman. Um, and Veronica takes some pictures of them kind of meeting and then uh, some pictures of this woman's car. But never gets a picture but of never gets a face. picture of the woman's face. Uh, so now we're back in flashback mode and Keith, uh, losing his job was hard on the family. His wife wants to leave town and start over, but Keith doesn't want to feel like he's been run out of town. So he says he wants to stay and Veronica doesn't want to feel like they're, uh, getting run out of town. So she's, she stays. Um, and so the mom leaves and Veronica's just left with her dad. Uh, Veronica's staking out this cheap motel and the whole biker gang shows up. Weevil and all his, all his buddies, they show up and they try to confront her. Uh, but her dog, which is named Backup, <laughs> who she took with her, so she was following her dad's instructions and in, saw that coming. And taking Backup saw with her. <laughs> so our producer Andrew has never seen this, and uh, when you said that right now, I saw a, a thumbs up just shoot nice. up. Nice, <laughs> like, saw yes. it coming a mile little away. BB, little BB-8 thumbs up. Yes. Uh, her dog Backup attacks one of them, and then she tases another one of them, and she tells them, "I'll let you guys leave and walk away from here." If you leave my friend Wallace alone. So she's single-handedly, well, I guess with the help of her dog and her taser, stood up to this whole, you know, 15 of these super scary biker guys. She's, a, she's kind of an intense girl. Um, yes. And uh, then Weevil makes some off-color jokes about Veronica. Um, and as they are leaving, we the voiceover comes back, and she says, you'd like to know how I lost my virginity? Well, so would I. Um and uh, then we get another flashback, and we see Veronica at a party with all the rich kids just after her dad lost his job. She sat. She thought, "I'm gonna." And she and her family are kind of pariahs. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see if I can hang out with my old friends. Um, somebody gives her a drink that's been drugged. She passes out, and she wakes up in an empty bed, and she cries. And she's in these flashbacks. She's. I guess it bears. Um, mentioning in the flashbacks, she's got long hair. She looks like cute, kind of rich high school girl she wears cute dresses like and S- stuff southern california, southern california like sundresses kind of um and and in the present she has this short kind of how, how would we call that like we are leaving my areas of expertise <laughs> very quickly tomboy not tom it's not no, no it's, it's not, tomboy. not she's she definitely keeps it tight. like she keeps it in a small ponytail and- it's cut short and it's kind of um it's layered like uneven layers and she wears kind of like darker, a little bit darker makeup. And I don't know, like she, a business cut? She, like she, she means well, business? She, That's what that hairstyle says? It does. But she's also wearing uh, darker clothes and it's not kind of pretty girl clothes at yeah. all anymore. So I, I guess you could you could maybe say that she dresses like a little bit more tomboy. Like she's wearing... Well, just more um, functional. Yes. Okay, that's good. I like that. About uh, you know, I'm being on display. She's not like a cute. I mean, there's a scene of her like they're at, they're doing the car wash, and she's got like the short shorts and the and the bare midriff kind of thing going on in in her and past flashbacks. and flashbacks. And now she's just like jeans and a t-shirt and and cons. Probably just 
we should go ahead and say, like, there's nothing they can do to make her unattractive by any means. <laughs> uh, agreed. Um, so now Veronica, uh, any, anyway, um, so she goes, she wakes up in the empty bed and she's crying and she says, uh, I'm no longer that girl. And this, so there really is like, a, and I think it's a pretty remarkable kind of transformation um, between the old Veronica and the new. So now Veronica is back in school, and Logan, who's this uh, Duncan's friend, she was Lily Kane's old boyfriend. Um, and he shows up harassing Veronica, and he makes some off-color uh, remarks about Veronica's mother, uh, which lead Veronica to tell us that she hasn't seen her mother for eight months. The mom walked away, um, and she only left a music box with, with a unicorn and a note saying that she would come back for Veronica. Uh, Wallace now finds Veronica and tells her, you should hear what people say about you. <laughs> Which, by the way, never go up to someone and say that. <laughs> you should hear what people say about you. And she says, are they saying something that they're not saying to her? Because a lot of people have said a lot of stuff to yes. her recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she says, I, I think Wallace is just kind of saying like, I'm new in town and I just have people have been telling me about yeah. you. And Wow. <laughs> She says, why are you hanging out with me? And he says, I could hang out with the people who made fun of me or the girl who cut me down, which I think is a really cool line. I could hang yeah. out with the people who made fun of me or I could hang out with the girl who cut me down. Um, like her actions mean so much more to him than her reputation. Yeah, I like Wallace. And, and in this case, cut me down is a positive phrase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, cut not, from not, not the people who psychologically and emotionally cut him down. Which is actually yes, a really cool... That's a good distinction. But, I, but I, I, I'm actually really glad that you pointed that out because that's really good writing, I think. Right? I can hang out with the people who made fun of me or the girl who cut me down, meaning the girl who builds me up. Uh, she asks uh, Wallace if he would like to get the, the, the bikers off his back. And so he says, yeah... So they go and talk to an art student who says he would do anything for Veronica. Uh, then that night, Keith Mars comes back from his uh, trying to catch the bail jumper, and he was successful. And so he's really happy, and he announces, Tonight we eat like the lower middle class to which we aspire. <laughs> and, uh, and then later, Veronica shows him the pictures that she took of Kane at the hotel. She says, I didn't get a picture of the woman, but I did get uh, her license plates. And she says, why don't you run the plates on this car? And then Keith gets all spooked, and he says, we're going to stay away from this case. We're, we're staying away from Jake Kane. We're off the case. And Veronica's uh, kind of surprised and miffed by this. Uh, the next day, Logan gets busted for having drug paraphernalia in his locker, and it turns out it's a ceramic statue that looks like it's used for um, doing drugs. Maybe an art student could have made that. Maybe an art student could have made, and Veronica maybe could have put it in Logan's locker. Then Veronica drives with Wallace to the police station. They're sitting outside, and with the remote control, they set off a smoke bomb that had been placed inside of the ceramic statue. And it's now inside of the police's uh, evidence room. So the fire department comes, and, uh, and then later... Uh, Veronica goes to the fire department and one of the firefighters has, uh, has a little package for Veronica and he gives it to her and she says, thanks. And he says anything for, for you, Veronica. So it's interesting because there are people that really, really hate Veronica and there are other people that would do anything for Veronica Mars for, for Veronica or her dad or her dad or Veronica yeah. because she is her dad's daughter. I think I've been kind of wondering something. Uh, how big is this town? Like, is there anyone that doesn't have an opinion on the Mars? No. Well, after, like, they they say, like, the, um, when Veronica's dad was suspecting, uh, Kane, like, that was 
national and international news even like that that's how big these families are yeah. and how important these families are like his family is is hollywood celebrities and billionaires from from silicon valley kind yeah. of thing so so everyone is one way or the other pretty much, pretty much. yeah yeah and so and so the, when it was a family disgrace like the mom leaving town wasn't necessarily like a brash decision like they were never going to live a comfortable life ever again in that town yeah. So Veronica continues to investigate the cane thing, and she tricks the police in running the plates from the woman's car. She calls and does this, like, impersonation of some secretary or something, and they run the plates, and now comes the bombshell. Do you want to guess what it is, Andrew? They run the plates at the Uh, police station, and the car is registered to her mother. So the car is registered to Veronica's mother. It was either going to be that, or it was going to be just the guy's wife, and they were just... Having fun. It's it's Veronica's mom. (laughs) So she asks her dad about the cane plates, uh, about these licenses. She says, hey, did you ever run those plates? And he just gives her this total lie. Oh, yeah, I ran the plates, and it's a corporate espionage thing, so we're not going to deal with it because it's kind of outside our pay grade. Yeah. Uh, And now Veronica is really hurt because her dad has lied to her straight up. But she lies to him all the time, so... Uh, now Veronica goes back to the police station and she says the last time that she was there was when she reported her rape after the party. Um, so the new sheriff, and now we get this flashback where we see her in her little like party sundress walking, um, slowly to the police station. And she's, she's like obviously really upset and she goes in and talks to the new sheriff whose name is Sheriff Lamb and he totally blows her off, kind of makes fun of her. When she's in this really vulnerable situation. Broken state. Yeah, yeah. she's totally Total broken. broken. And we get this really beautiful image of Veronica sitting in this like cute little party dress. And she's got these huge crocodile tears running down her face. And and, and the sheriff is just making fun of her. Yeah. It's brutal to watch because he, he says, like, do you, what do you want me to do? Go uh, arrest every son of every powerful person in the city yeah. that was at this party? Uh, like, you're giving me nothing to work with, which is... So frustrating. So, yeah. So frustrating to watch. And you can see, I mean, this is a real, this is her turning point where. Yeah, this is the moment of transformation. Where she becomes something else. The, the Like, this is, the, the, the Veronica that we have in the present day is ultra cynical. And this is the moment where she becomes that cynical. Right. So she, now in the present day, she walks into um, one of the courtrooms and there's a trial going on. And Sheriff Lamb is testifying against the two bikers that had stolen the beer from Wallace's store. And they're defended by the lawyer who had previously given Veronica this tip at the beginning. Uh, and they, so they say, we've got the surveillance tape, Officer Lamb or Sheriff Lamb. Why don't you tell us what we're going to see in the surveillance tape? And they pop in the surveillance tape, but instead of the surveillance tape, it is video that Veronica took of one of Lamb's officers accompanying a, we will say, salacious woman. Uh, and so Lamb is outside one of the seedier seedier establishments in the city. So now Lamb is totally embarrassed. And the case is dismissed, and Veronica gives Lamb this great big wink and walks out. Um, so uh, now she's done a solid for Wallace. So there, she's at the beach with Wallace, and Wallace says, I totally owe you big time. And she shrugs it off like, oh, it's not that big a deal. And he says, underneath that angry young woman show, there's a slightly less angry young woman who is just dying to bake me something. You're a marshmallow, Veronica, Wall- Veronica Mars, a Twinkie. 
<laughs> and then uh, they spent some time flying uh, Wallace's remote control plane until Logan, the creepy kid who was harassing Veronica about her mom and uh, who Veronica set up. Uh, he shows up and he busts out the headlights of Veronica's car with a crowbar. But just when it looks really bad, well, he, just real quick, he, he like tells her that her little prank that he knows she was responsible for cost him his car because his dad took it away, right? For getting busted with drugs in his locker. So just then, uh, Weevil and the bikers show up and they defend Veronica. And Weevil takes a crowbar and he uh, starts banging on the car that Logan is driving, which is his mom's car. Um, <laughs> And uh, saying anything you do to Veronica's car, I will match. Yeah. (laughs) And then Wallace tells her in another, there are so many great lines in this episode. I suddenly feel like I'm in a scene from the outsiders. And then Veronica leans over and says, be cool. Soda pop. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, and then the episode ends with Veronica staking out her own. One one more moment where, uh, Weevil asks, uh, Wallace for the videotape. Like he knows Wallace, they, like they've worked together oh, right. and gotten rid of the videotape and he, and they asked for it and Wallace says, uh, no, I think I'm going to hold <laughs> on to it. <laughs> uh, so now we're in sort of the epilogue of this. The episode ends and Veronica's staking out her own father. Uh, she breaks into his safe in his office and she finds a file and sees that he's continued the investigation of Mr. Kane. Um, there are all kinds of unanswered questions, about Lily Kane's about murder. Lily Kane's murder, including why is Kane meeting with a woman that could possibly be her own mother? Um, her dad shows up and she lies about what she was doing in his office, and she says, "I'll meet you a little bit later. We'll have dinner and a movie." Um, and then she walks out and she leaves the unicorn music box playing on the desk. And then she goes to the cheap motel where Kane had met that woman, and she knocks on the door, but nobody answers. And Veronica's final voiceover says, I will find out what really happened, and I will bring this family back together again. I'm sorry, does that sound mushy? Well, you know what they say, Veronica Mars, she's a marshmallow. And then it ends. <laughs> so this one, uh, this episode, I mean, I love it, but it the subsequent episodes have a much more... Uh, like self-contained mystery. Like this one does have the thing with uh, Wallace and the gang, but it's not so much a mystery as seeing them, like seeing the connections that Veronica Mars already has at her disposal. Yeah. I think it does a really good job of establishing her resourcefulness and her connections and her cynicism. Yes. Um, But from here out, usually there's like some crazy thing happens either at high school or a case that her dad gets that she helps to solve. And that kind of happens each episode. But at the same time, we're finding a little bit more out about, Lily Kane's murder and about her mom and all these other things that were set up in that pilot. Uh-huh. It's a lot of work is done in that pilot. <laughs> yeah, it really, I, as I was, as I was watching it today, um, I mean like there's some, it's, it's noir and it was one of the things that, cause I was, as Veronica Mars goes on and she gets older, um, I think it gets a, a more, I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that darker is the right word, but you know, she she grows up and it, it she starts really get darker than rape and murder. Right. <laughs> you know, well, you, and you that's that's what like... I was I was thinking of because when she gets to college, then she starts dealing with college size problems. And I remember having the impression that this first season was somehow like lighter because she's still in high school. And I was watching it and I thought, no, this is really it's still like it's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dark, and we are dealing with rape and murder. And it's noir. I mean, it really is. It has all of the elements of classic film noir, except that it's filmed in color. So Rob Thomas, the creator, he originally wrote um, kind of a young adult novel that the the shape of that became the pilot for 
uh, and the, the through line for this season. Uh, but originally it had a male protagonist doing all, and, but then he, he said, the idea of doing a female, like, voiceover and doing a female noir detective really appealed to him, and that's when he swapped it over, uh, to make it into Veronica Mars. Yeah. Cause it does, uh, it does something to us as viewers, cause we're so, if, if you're familiar at all with, like, the hard-boiled detective genre, it's like, there's never a female. <laughs> that's, that's the lead, uh, in those. And so it does kind of subvert those expectations, but it's really interesting to see it play out in a modern day setting with this teenage girl that's going to high school. Um, but still, still having all that kind of world weariness and, um, not just like cynicism sometimes feels cheap to say, but like she has an earned cynicism with everything that she's gone right. through, <laughs> like in these, in these flashbacks. So I, I don't know that it's cynicism so much as just kind of being beaten down. I like what, I like, I like what, how you described her as world weary. And it's hard, it's, uh, there's, there are moments in this that are supposed to be funny. I don't generally read Veronica Mars as comedy. I mean, I'm sure that there are people that, that see it and they think it's really funny and like, oh, look at this girl, she's so spunky and look how she is able to turn the tables on all these men around her. But man, especially seeing this first, this pilot, and I don't know that I'd have, I'm sure that I've seen this before. But I just didn't remember. Todd, if you were watching it at midnight feedings, you might have watched the entire first season and forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But um, I just, like, my heart breaks. And it, it just doesn't feel like comedy to me. No. Uh, like, there are moments that make us laugh. Like, the Wallace, particularly, is kind of the Com- comedic relief. Yeah, he's comic um, relief, for sure. But... It's, I know it's not a comedy. <laughs> in in your description, I liked least the stuff that sounded like it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like even, even just like the whole ploy to plant a bomb in the police station mm-hmm. to get the tape swapped out. I'm like that sounds goofy and funny. I don't like it. Yeah. And it is kind of, there's definitely lighter music to that than like any of the flashbacks. Obviously all these flashbacks are tragic. She does not flashback to happy memories. No. <laughs> No, and Um, I think, um, again, like, she's in high school. And so some of the problems that she faces are, like, high school-sized problems, you know? Somebody, I don't know, smoking weed, and there's something in his locker. And, like, those are all kind of high school-sized problems. And then she has these other other problems that are really, really big. And, and, And so there is kind of a nice contrast, I think, in having that that heavy long story be the one that that lasts throughout the season and then having these shorter kind of lighter things uh throughout um it's uh, as far as noir goes and, and watching it again today i thought yeah this is really like this is really good noir um but noir is noir and, and like it's called noir because noir means black and it is it's black it's dark and uh I can only I can only handle it in like certain doses before <laughs> before I just feel like well, I need to I need some flowers or <laughs> something happy because well, it's thinking, sad. like when I watched this pilot I was like I could completely binge this again and then I thought first again like I could binge the first season I don't think I could go <laughs> like all three seasons back to back to back it's really it's it's heavy this yeah. Um, so we've said that there's this long first season arc about Lily's murder and about Veronica's rape and about what's going on with her mom and these other things. Um, 
my my sister uh who is writing the Frasier book with me she I, I gave her the first season to watch and she watched the first few episodes and she was completely hooked and she actually like decided she wanted to get her hair cut like Veronica Mars <laughs> <laughs> and so she'd gone and this was like 2004 is this what we said it was so we weren't quite as spoiler aware uh with internet things and so she typed in Veronica Mars into the search engine to find pictures and like the first thing that came up was a plot synopsis of the first season and it had spoiler in the first sentence of, of like the long story arc of the season and she was so angry what a bummer <laughs> yeah yeah it's so disappointing because they do a really good job of playing out those long yeah, long-term story i agree lines. so one one of the things that really interests me about about noir is just the question why are we interested in noir like what is it about these dark stories and like this is dark and gritty and what is it about that that makes us go, yeah, I could totally binge. Like, I could totally watch the whole first season of this. Because it's not happy. And it's not really particularly uplifting in any way. <laughs> and yet, for some reason, I find myself really drawn to this genre. And it's always been this nagging question in my mind. Like, what is it about this that makes me, that, that, that is, makes it so intriguing to me? I have Pretty a theory. theory. <laughs> Do you have a theory? Have Why a theory. am I not surprised? Because I was just thinking about this and I was thinking about when, uh, you were talking about how you could watch some of this, but really not the whole thing. I was thinking about the BBC show Broadchurch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is extremely intense and extremely mm-hmm. dark. And also and very, very neo noir. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. And I have thought several times about rewatching it and every time. I come to the conclusion I can't possibly no. rewatch <laughs> Broadchurch. I just cannot do it yeah. because it's twelve episodes of just. So what's your theory, though? The... Well, my theory is that, um, but I think about it a lot mm-hmm. for having watched it. I think that somehow we want to experience the full range of emotions, uh-huh. positive and negative. And this gives us a way to, in a kind of controlled environment, experience ones that we know are extremely dangerous in reality. Right. So uh, I think it's a pretty common uh, theory for like escapists of horror that there's this kind of delight and terror, but you know you're safe. Mm-hmm. So it's not really too much terror mm-hmm. that happens. And this isn't necessarily like a, a horror film kind of terror that happens, but it is very dark human emotions that are elicited in these kinds of stories. So I think it's, um, you know, very closely related to why horror is a genre that will never die. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Cause you can watch it from a safe place and experience kind of, I don't want to say, or maybe I do want to say dangerous emotions, you know, or emotions mm-hmm. that we associate with that kind of danger. Right. Um, particularly when it's well done and you care about these characters and, uh, you, you can feel those things for these characters while knowing that they are just characters. Right. It's, um, in some ways it reminds me of, well, in a lot of ways it reminds me of our, our discussion of the graveyard book. And we talked about Neil Gaiman and C.S. Lewis and this idea that we want to be scared. Like we want and we need to feel those emotions, uh, but we need, uh, and, and art is one way that we found as humans to experience those emotions. Like Andrew's saying in a controlled environment. Um, there's also, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of happiness. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched, um, 
the old uh, the old Cat in the Hat show uh, when he sings Calculatus Eliminatus. Do you know this? That one's not ringing a bell for me. Calculatus Eliminatus. So uh, they're looking for something that's lost, and the cat says, uh, well, if you want to find something that's lost, then you look for it in everywhere that it's not. And eventually you'll find the place that it is. And so they go through the house and they're marking with chalk everywhere. And they say, nope, it's not under here. It's not under here. And they mark everywhere that it's not. And I feel like noir is sort of the calculatus eliminatus of happiness. It's like, it's like <laughs> let's look everywhere uh, where happiness is not. Uh, and, and in doing that, I think that it, it tells us some really powerful things about, about happiness. And seeing someone who's so miserable, um, who's had – almost everything taken away from from her uh gives us a really interesting opportunity to to see what is most important to somebody who's lost everything and uh and we see it in her relationship with her dad and we see it in her relationship with wallace and in this yearning for her mother and this this closing line um i will do whatever it takes to bring my family back together well, you said, uh, like, you can only watch so much, and then, like, you need to go see a flower or <laughs> something yes. like that. Uh, but if you haven't been watching this, like, you can walk by a dozen flowers and not even note them. Right. And so it makes those, you know, like like I said, you've eliminated everything else, but it makes you note those other things more mm-hmm. when you've, we've been kind of wallowing in these. Right. Uh, you know, the, these dark emotions. And I think there's also something compelling about watching broken people still striving mm-hmm. and, and achieving and functioning and, and doing in a lot of ways more than, you know, <laughs> we ever do in our lives or could do. Uh-huh. Um, cause she's it, Veronica Mars. I love the character, but she's not healthy. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, she's, um, she has a lot of baggage that she is carrying with her everywhere. Like she's carrying with her to her lunch table at high school, mm-hmm. all this baggage to the point that, you know, someone who she helped earlier in the day sits down next to her and she glares and like feels offended mm-hmm. that they would deign to interact with her. Um, yet she, as we've said in this episode is so capable of accomplishing these things that most people in her school would have no idea how to even begin to consider doing the things that she does regularly. Yeah. I like this idea of, um, that it, you could walk by a dozen flowers and not notice them. But once you've, once you've walked through like the swamps, <laughs> and then you see one flower and all of a sudden it, it means something so much more. And I'm thinking of like friendship and my daughters are really into these like uh strawberry shortcake and Lego, you know, like everybody's friends and I'm here with all my best friends and let's sing songs and like pick flowers and stuff. And it's like friendship means so much more when I see Veronica connect with Wallace. And when he says that thing, when he says, um, why hang out with people? I can hang out with the people who were make, made fun of me or I can hang out with the girl who cut me down. And there's something really, I would say uplifting in, in that, in, in finding that. And it's like, wow, even Veronica Mars, who is this prickly, angry, what does he call her? An angry young woman, uh, (laughs) hiding inside just only a slightly less angry young woman. Uh, but she's able to find this friendship and it means something when she does. I think we should talk about Wallace for a minute because he is a great character. Um, is he as bad as he seems? Like he seems like he's going to be like, a real nerd, like annoyance kind of character. No, he's no, uh, he's cool. No, he's uh, becomes he, like the star basketball player. He sounds like a snitch. Let me just say. 
Uh, no, no, he's he's definitely a strong character in the series. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't he become the star basketball player? Did I make that up? Yeah, he plays basketball. Okay. I think I'm picturing him wrong then. Yeah. No, he's not, like, don't think, like, computer nerd or anything like that. Though she does gather a computer nerd into helping her out in these <laughs> situations later. I love Mac. Her name is Mac, the computer nerd. Yes, she's really cool. <laughs> um, but no, Wallace, like, uh, in if he had chosen, he would have been one of the popular kids at the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very easily, as the new kid coming in, but... Um, like you said, you know, snitch kind of has these negative connotations, but he was an employee at a store that was being robbed. He didn't do the wrong thing by <laughs> hitting that. Uh, the wrong choice was kind of, uh, being Backing intimidated. Out. Yeah. Being intimidated by an entire bikers gang. How dare you be intimidated yeah. by an entire biker gang that's st- there staring at you. By the way, Sheriff Lamb, maybe take him somewhere else besides the parking lot that has yeah. an entire biker gang hanging out when you question him. Lamb is the worst. <laughs> I mean, let's just establish <laughs> Lamb is... He, he is the kind of villain that you love to hate. Yes. There's no, like, essentially nothing redeeming about him. No, there is one episode that redeems him somewhat, and that's what makes him so. Oh, such I think a great I remember, I think I know what, yeah. which one you're there, talking about. It, it's one incident where it's like a line he won't cross, and he does the exact right thing. Yeah. <laughs> like in that situation, because someone has done, has crossed the line that he he won't allow to be crossed. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there's like this one redeeming thing about him, which good villains need that one thing. Like if they're just outright villains all the time. I think it's interesting. I think another thing that's interesting to me about noir is seeing, is seeing these, like the complete breakdown of society, which is essentially what we're seeing here. <laughs> like there are no rules and, and everybody can do essentially what they want. Lamb does what he wants his officers he's a a totally corrupt cop we have gangsters running around we have rich kids uh taking advantage of the system we have veronica who's able to manipulate everything so when all the rules are thrown out um then what are the rules that stay right like this it's like the code of the west sort of (laughs) like we're living in the wild west basically cowboys code of the west yeah and and cowboys of moo mesa yes the cowboys of moo mesa (laughs) thank you um but like veronica has a code and and she follows it and as much as she's willing to lie and cheat and manipulate people uh, there are things that she does and she has a moral compass and she when she helps wallace it's because because she has a moral compass and even weevil there's a code that he follows and he and he helps you know he helps veronica when she helps him and <laughs> I think it's really, it's just really interesting for me to see that. And it's so foreign from anything in my own life. (laughs) Um, And I think that's part of, part of the allure of noir. I think one thing that we do see is a pack mentality emerge very quickly. Uh (laughs) So there are like the, the biker gang, there are the rich kids group. And And then there's Veronica um, and Wallace. There's Veronica who's, (laughs) who um, through the season kind of forms a pack Mm -hmm. of, people who uh aren't necessarily the rule abiders like they all go over the edge of what rule uh-huh. <laughs> you know of where where the line is but they do it for you know the their moral code their reasons uh and so we find that you know we approve of that uh rule breaking it's what um there's a there's a spanish author called rosa montero and she calls it a pseudo family and so, so yes. she always all of her stories are about women who have some uh initial crisis and then they're alone, 
and then they go through the through the throughout the story they build us what she calls a pseudo family and that's exactly mm-hmm. what's happening here or it, it also reminds me of a Joss Whedon uh, classically he always talks about um, adopted family and that like the family they choose mm-hmm. is more important than blood relations because yeah. you can be born into a bad family and that's going to give you bad relationships but you can choose to form an adoptive family and that's what, how he he views like the core characters that develop in his series are are adopting a family that's right for them it just struck me we should probably should have had this conversation earlier in this episode uh but i don't know that we've really um defined uh film noir as we're talking about it here there may be some people listening to this that are well, unfamiliar this with the this first episode they might be a little <laughs> lost but if they listen to any previous episode there's a good chance we've touched on film noir but have we ever said like this is what film noir is no, but we mentioned hardboiled detectives. You've you've mentioned that film noir means black. So, but I guess if you were going to get to a two seconds two sentence summary of film noir, Todd, how would you break it down? I'd say film noir is a style of film that develops after, sort of on the heels of World War II, in which you have, but <laughs> basically what we said: really dark situations, uh, people. It's about crime and it's about hardboiled detectives. And stuff doesn't really make sense. See our discussion of uh, Dupin in uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue. I think that's where we talked about the difference between detective fiction and noir fiction. Yeah. Um, And I think we also, in our episode about the hero's journey, we mentioned that film noir uh, sees um, a character go down into the abyss but never come out. Right. (laughs) It's it's, uh, what happens a lot. Yeah. So it's an exploration of the darker, seedier side of society in a time in the 50s when you have Leave it to Beaver and all of this kind of shiny veneer on things and it looks like everybody's happy and all the families are great. Uh, Noir comes along and says, actually, not so fast. Uh, There's a lot of problems and a lot of people that came out of World War II really broken. And there, it, it, so the the hardboiled detective that's at the core of film noir uh, carries on kind of a narrative tradition from American popular entertainment that had the frontiersman, the cowboy, uh, and then we move kind of from the cowboy into a few variations of it, one of which is the hardboiled detective. And these are all characters that, uh, I mean, we talked about this in the Kilkenny episode, uh, definitely, but that use violence from outside of societal norms in order to protect societal norms. Hmm. Uh, so, so there are societal outsiders that are using all the tools that the villains use, but are using them to protect society itself. Yeah. It's actually, it's a really interesting thing. Noir can be, it can be kind of slippery <laughs> to define because you can say, well, noir is hard boiled detectives. And you can say, actually there's, Here's five examples of films that don't have a hard-boiled detective but are clearly noir. And they say, well, noir is a femme fatale. And you can say, well, yes, except (laughs) here are five examples of noir that have no femme fatale. Um, So it's kind of a tricky thing. In in my mind, it's always been more about a feeling than it is about any one particular device. And the feeling is um, (laughs) it's dark and depressing and sad and gritty um, it's and usually there's broken characters that are striving to accomplish something, but may or may not do it. Right. So it, it has at its heart, it has trauma and, and some traumatic thing that, that breaks somebody, uh, possibly beyond repair. <laughs> and, uh, and we, this, we certainly get all of this in, uh, in this first episode of Veronica Mars. And I think it's worth noting that 
it's dealing with a lot of uncomfortable issues. <laughs> I mean, the murder of a teenage girl and uh, Veronica Mars's rape and the dissolution of her family and all these things, but it never feels exploitative in how it's dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those issues we need to be able to have more conversations about and more uh, mature addressing of than we do currently have yeah. <laughs> in our culture and in our society. So th- I think as much as this is like a piece of pop culture from a decade ago that was on a channel associated with kind of teeny entertainment <laughs> and, you know, teen oriented entertainment, I think it's really mature in the way that approaches a lot of those. And the, and the writing, like, let's just give a shout out for the writing. <laughs> I'm amazed at references to things and I, it's very literary. It kind of remind almost reminds me of like Gilmore girls in how literary it is and it's kind of self-aware, the dialogue, um, when he says, I feel like I'm in an, in, in, uh, like I'm in the outsiders and she says, stay cool. Soda pop. Like <laughs> it just, uh, I, I, th- I, I, I like that. feels like Buffy or Gilmore girls or something in, in that it's, it's smart and it knows that it's smart and it kind of enjoys being as smart as it is. And in the future this year, there's a good chance you'll hear us talk more in depth about Gilmore girls and Buffy. <laughs> We we actually haven't tackled the tackled those yet, but uh, they're 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 both on our radar. Yeah. Huh? Um, you guys are so close to the first hat trick episode of the year. What, what do you mean by hat trick episode? What, is what, are, what are we hitting? You are just missing a theorist. What, so well, we I was just about novelist. to go there. So we had a Spanish novelist. We had my theory, which the Spanish novelist is almost a theorist. We had my theory and, and Todd's non sequitur with the cat in the hat. And we had my, uh, my allusions to many other pop culture products. <laughs> yeah. So all we need is someone to talk about a theorist whose name is probably only pronounced in a foreign language. All right. I definitely could have brought it in in, the, uh, in my discussion about like, the outsider hero. I almost want to give it... For the for the Spanish, well, I, okay. but I, I assume think Todd of, uh, had had something in mind for. Well, I was just, Noir. I was just, a, I was just about there. I, I oh. was really close. I, you've got five minutes left. You can do it. All right, you want it, Todd, or do you want me to take it? <laughs> uh, either way, uh, I can, no. I can go. For, I can, I can take it, or you can. If you've got something, then go for it. Was well, all right. Mine would be kind of going back to a previous conversation. If yours is moving forward, why don't you do yours? Okay, but so do wrap it up because you got like five minutes. Okay. Yeah. The well, we've we've touched on the idea of loneliness, um, and there is this really strong element of loneliness in here. And I just I just came across this theory the other day uh, by a guy called Martin Buber, which is just a great name. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like it should be the comic relief in a 1950s film. Martin Buber. He's a German uh, philosopher, uh, um, Jewish, Hasidic Jew. And he has a book called I and Thou. And he talks about, uh, first of all, the fact that there is no... It's impossible for a human to exist in solitary. That we only exist um, through the things that are around us. And so we're, we're always in relationship with the things around us. And all of those relationships are either I, thou, or I, um, what does he call it? I, it. So it's either an I, thou relationship or an I, it relationship. And that the more that we're able to develop, uh, so, so first of all, you have to, you like step one is recognize, 
that the people around us are thou's. They're not it's, right? They're human beings and they're, um, they're capable of emotion and that we're, we're able to have a real relationship with these things versus an I, it relationship. So an it is something that we can just use. And the ultimate extension of this is that the, that we begin, we begin to see everything as a thou and that the whole world becomes, uh, like it, it's about our relationship with the things around us. Um, and I just, just thinking about Veronica and how lonely she is and how isolated, um, how much she needs Wallace, that she needs to have something. And just in the moment when she loses this relationship with her dad, um, that she's able to pick it up with Wallace and that I, I feel like her relationship with Wallace is an I thou relationship. Um, whereas her relationship with pretty much everybody else in this is kind of an I a relationship. Well, it's interesting that you said that because we, I, and we were just talking about how this is dealing with particularly rape is one that that theory makes me think of. Yes. Um, there's a documentary by Jean Kilborn called Killing Us Softly, mm-hmm. which is about advertising's effect on women. Mm-hmm. But it, she mentions in there, it's also, you know, the way all of us are viewing this, that uh, when we talk about like the objectification of women, it's really like we need to understand that word is making people into objects, mm-hmm. like into it's so, like using the, the theory that you were just talking about and that, um, for sexual assault to occur, you really need to take that step and stop right. viewing someone as an individual, as a person, and view them as an object that you can use. And without that step taking place, sexual assault wouldn't take place. And mm-hmm. advertising, what, what's so insidious about the objectification of women in advertising is that it is helping that step to be taken so readily because mm-hmm. uh, it's so pervasive in our culture. Right. It's uh, I think it's a really important thing. We had a we had a super super good discussion about this today in, in one of my classes, which is why it's on my mind. But, um, but yeah, this idea of uh, this question of how do I see the people around me? Do I see the people around me as it's, or do I see them as thou's? And, uh, and it's, it's, it's a really, I don't know, for me, it's been kind of profound just to, just to think about that. Um, and then to, to see this relationship where Veronica's constantly surrounded by people, uh, almost all of whom for her are it's their means to an end, the firefighter guy, the, the, the vice principal. And there's so many people that, and, and it really is a dense, it's a dense story in the sense that there's a lot that happens, but it's also dense in that it's just full of people. Um, and, and it only serves to highlight her loneliness. I think that the fact that she's surrounded by all of these people with whom she has essentially no relationship. Again, it's, it's calculatus limitatus. It's, uh, you see it in the in what she ha- in what she doesn't have. Uh, there's, I think, there's something profound. Okay, I think there's also with the flashbacks. I said that like she doesn't flashback to happy memories, but in the trauma that we see in these flashbacks, part of that trauma is that we know there was a happier time. That when we go back and we she's uh, when we find out that Lily was murdered, she tries to go and talk to. Uh, her ex-boyfriend at that point, and like, there's just no communication that happens there. Cause, I mean, obviously, he's going through his own trauma. He's like catatonic. The, yeah, but then at the party, like, these are people that she used to have relationships with. Sort uh, they of. might not have been healthy, great relationships, yeah. but she was in their social sphere in a way that she clearly isn't then, and clearly she's choosing not to be in anyone's social right. sphere afterwards. Yeah. Oof. That's dark and sad. <laughs> <laughs> But that's noir. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but I, 
again, just uh, as dark and sad as it is, it's really compelling to watch. Uh, you know, I, I don't want our audience, if they haven't been exposed to this, to say, well, that doesn't sound any fun. It is so compelling to watch <laughs> this, and it's so skillfully told, particularly the the long season-long story arc. I think that's one of the more satisfying season-long stories I've seen on any series. Nah. Nah, it's it's well done. It's you got to be <laughs> got to be in the right frame of mind for it. Maybe not in the middle of winter if you're snowed in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't. It's like uh, I've had my student in the summer. I had my students read uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Have you ever read that, Todd? I have never read The Road. I, it's okay, one good. of my greatest uh, uh, shames in life. It is great, but it's it's dark and it's it's just over. It, it like presses in on you when you read it. And um, one of my students said, I'm glad you're not assigning this in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they're going to get in the middle of summer. <laughs> well, we said it before. We'll say it again. Uh, as um, Sally Sparrow says, sad is happy for deep people. So <laughs> yes. so if well, that's I'm- the case, then this show makes me very happy. Because <laughs> it is very sad. <laughs> uh, and Veronica Mars is, I'd say of all the characters, she's in my top favorite characters of all the ones we've discussed, actually. Really? Uh, but yeah, yeah, but she's, like you said, not in a happy place. (laughs) No. And she's, she's really broken. And I think that's part of why part of the fatigue is just seeing how she consistently uh, sort sort of like we, we mentioned with, um, with Julio and, uh, Alethea in Grand Hotel, like it's hard to watch characters that you care about make really dumb decisions that lead to their like continually lead to their unhappiness. But yes. Veronica, for as smart as she is and savvy as she is, she makes some really dumb decisions <laughs> that that lead to a lot of sadness for her. I may just saying that made me think of uh, right now as we're recording this, the last season of Downton Abbey is airing, and there's a character in there named Daisy who epitomizes the like don't do that don't do that we like you and that's gonna have bad consequences uh, for you if you do this thing it's really <laughs> hard she's constantly just almost doing these things or in fact doing these things that she shouldn't be doing uh, <laughs> bless all their bless all their hearts because i never do that nope every decision i've made in my life has been straight <laughs> to success this is and and intentional yes and intentional <laughs> This is uh, just, just deliberate perfection. That's how I think of my life. This is like the worst kind of misreading that I always warn my students about. Right? Is uh, it's easy to look at other characters. It's easy to look at a character like Veronica Mars and say, "Man, she is so dumb." Or or other people in this in this story or lots of stories. It's interesting uh, to challenge yourself, and I think really important to say, "How am I like her or him?" <laughs> and and find like the worst character. And say, in what ways am I like this person? Um, that can be a really, a really interesting exercise, and one that is not always super comfortable, but usually for me le- le- leads to some self discovery. Uh, and I'm I'm amazed at how often I I reject that, and I think, man, Veronica Mars totally reminds me of this other person that I know that makes dumb decisions that lead to their sadness. <laughs> <laughs> but I never, but I, but, but it's hard for me to say in what ways do I make dumb decisions that lead to my own sadness and in what ways are my priorities messed up or my desire for X, uh, leads me to far further away from Y, which is what really makes me happy. Um, yeah. 
So I think it's really important to, to ask ourselves with these flawed characters to say, in what ways do their flaws reflect my own? It just made me think about, uh, like in the episode, like you're screaming for her and her dad to just have a frank and open conversation right? about, um, you know, what they're both discovering <laughs> when it comes to the license plates and other things. But then immediately think like, uh, how many teenagers have kept something from their parents <laughs> that in retrospect, maybe they shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and once you think about it that way, it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of a, a real moment. <laughs> right. And then the next step is, what conversation should I be having right now that I'm not? Right? Yeah. That's yeah. To me, that's the kicker. Because mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, why don't they talk to each other? And they go, oh, man, there are so many dumb people that do that. Oh, teenagers. They never talk to their parents. And then I go, wait a second. What are the conversations <laughs> that I'm avoiding right now because they're uncomfortable but if I were to do that, it would grease the skids on a lot of areas of my life. Mm. That, to me, that's like, that's the, that's the fundamental question that as readers, we should do more often than we, than we actually do. Yeah. I have no theorist for that. That's me. Oh, well, well said, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Mac. <laughs> All right. Uh, I believe that wraps up this episode. So thank you for joining us and please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in iTunes and please leave us a review. It helps us to gain new listeners and also makes us feel like we're, you know, doing something that people are paying attention to <laughs> links to everything that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com, And you can also find a list of our previous shows there. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're all on Twitter. You can go uh, follow at protagonist pod at Todd K Mac at Jay Dorowski and our producer, Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. And if you go visit that and just hit like, you'll be able to see all our posts and all the discussion that takes place there about the topics we are tackling in these episodes. And if you like our show and would like to support us financially, and we would like you to support us financially, by the way, there are a few different ways that you can do that. If you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or just show your appreciation for the show with a small financial donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. And please don't forget to take advantage of great deals from Amazon by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash deals or by making your purchases through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Uh, that is a really easy way for you to uh, to help us out, and it costs you absolutely nothing. If you're already going to be buying something on Amazon, just go to protagonistpodcast.com podcast.com slash Amazon, and we'll get a sliver of those funds. And don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. I feel yeah. like the the is the uh, is the lightsaber back in your room there? Because I can hear that buzzing again. Uh, our heater just turned on. Oh.